Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rusev Udria. Rusev Machka. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Turnbuckle here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on. Thank you for joining us in what is a sad week in the world of wrestling in America, especially it's been a sad week over here in Australia for a while since we haven't had any live wrestling. But as I welcome my two co-hosts, Lyle and Welshy boys, a sad week for the WWE. It's a very sombre g'day, Tony. Um, yeah, look, I don't I mean a sad week for for wrestlers, I think, for WWE employees. Um, I haven't got too much sympathy for the WWE at the moment. Um, yeah, unfortunately, they have to look after their shareholders and the, the bottom line first and, you know, the performers and backstage people like producers and they're a bit more expendable. So, you know, they're going to plug the whole of the the sinking ship. You know, as the money is going out and there's not much coming in, they've got to cut costs everywhere. And, you know, I heard a rumour that it could be up to 100 people being stood down or sacked or I don't know what that fancy word was you used earlier. Was it furloughed? Furloughed. 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 Yeah. Fancy um, word. <laughs> um, yeah. It's yeah, pretty sad. It's yeah, disastrous for the the industry um for the, look for any the other time any other time when this if this number of wwe wrestlers were released at once elevate gonna go to new jabrusta he's actually been underused for so long well she um, could you pick it up from at any time at the start of what you said because it just dropped out for about five seconds At any other time, you'd be salivating with so many releases at once from WWE and you'd be wondering where is Gellows and Anderson going to end up? Are they going to go back to Japan? What's going to happen with Rusev, who's been criminally underused for so long? Is Leo Rush going to tear it up in AEW? Like, but right now, there's nowhere for people to go and I can't see AEW Rush to open their own books. Nah, they're, I think AEW, they're pretty locked into who they have got at the minute. Maybe they might sign the Revival if they can because that was probably um, already arranged <laughs> for the release, I'm assuming. Um, but, yeah, they can't just pick up the slack. Um, yeah, they're making TV money now and you know, they may be breaking even. Um, but, yeah, they're not running live shows, there's no crowds, you know, their pay-per-views have been cancelled and pushed back. Um, yeah, the 
the disappointing part of it is, you know, there's no fantasy booking come out of it. You how, how um how lucky are AEW that they signed that new TV deal in January? Yeah, so that's that's it. You know, they, yeah, they were probably assuming to make a little bit of a profit profit before this, and now, you know, at least they can keep their head above water. And I know they're backed by a couple of billionaires, but you know, they can. They don't have to cut costs or anything like that yet. Um, well, they would have budgeted to lose money their first two years as a new organisation. So, um, although it looked like they were going to turn a profit earlier, um, I still think that they're in a better position than they expected to be at the moment. So, I oh, think that's all positive yeah. for them. I think um, even regardless of the current situation, for them to just even break even in the first two years is more than they would have expected. So... Yeah, if they can come out the other side of this and break even, uh, it's, yeah, it's not a bad position to be in. Someone who's not super indie and not considered like a super worker, but intrigues me as to where he'll end up, is someone like an Eric Rowan. But just because of the sheer size of the man, like, where do you see Eric Rowan fitting in? I, uh, someone like that, like, Maybe I don't know what he if he has Japanese aspirations. Um, you know, all Japan love big guys that can. You know, he moves decently in a ring. He can work that bigger heavyweight style, which is you know not independent um, fans' cup of tea at the this stage. Um, or you know, you got Lance Archer and you got Big Hurt, um, Jack Swagger, with uh, Hager. You got those big guys in AEW. I mean, you can cycle those in and bring in another big guy. You know, well, he dwarfs them. He yeah. genuinely a huge, huge man. So, I honestly think if he's the one guy that probably could turn up anywhere, and if he's booked well um, and against the right guys, there's there's some money to be made, even on an eight eight nine month run somewhere. Yeah, yeah, look. You know, maybe AEW, it's not the right time because they're introducing the big guys uh, at the minute, you know, with Brody Lee and Archer. They've already got those guys. But, you know, look, a Ring of Honor and Impact, you know, they they don't have giant guys on their roster. They don't grow on trees. So, yeah, he should be utilised somewhere. Yeah, you're certainly right, guys. And talking about huge guys, of course, one man that was one of the hugest in wrestling, of course, is Andre the Giant. There's a new book that has just come out about him. It's called The Eighth Wonder of the World. It's the story of Andre the Giant. And one of the writers is Pat Leprade, and he joins us on the line to have a chat. G'day to you, Pat. Hey, very good, very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on board, Pat. And we uh, speak to you, of course, uh, based on the fact that the uh, book, The Eighth Wonder of the World, is about to hit our stores. Yes, it's coming out uh, this uh, this Tuesday, April uh, April fourteenth. Uh, very excited! My uh, my fourth book uh, on pro wrestling, uh, and uh, no pun intended, but it was a it was a giant task. <laughs> um, your uh, it is your fourth book, uh, but tackling a um, subject as much loved and revered as Andre the Giant. Um, did you realize what you were getting yourself into when you started uh, putting pen to paper? Um, kind of, because I was, uh, I was a field producer 
on the uh, HBO documentary that was released in 2018. So, you know, I, 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 knew, uh, I, I knew where I wanted to go uh, with this project alongside my, uh, uh, my co-writer, Bertrand Ebert. Uh, so, you know, we knew, we knew we wanted to make sure to tell uh, the truth, you know, for once, because there are so many myths, so many fairy tales about Andre uh, that we wanted to make sure that uh, we were going to explain, you know, where those fairy tales were coming uh, from and, and what is the truth behind them. Uh, plus, we wanted to talk about not only Andre the Giant, but Andre Rusimov, uh, the man behind the wrestler. So, so we, we kind of knew, you know, that it, it, would be, uh, it would be a heck of a, of a task. And, and uh, we, we worked, you know, probably near two years on this. So uh, the research was very, very extensive and, and uh, we were very happy with the, uh, with the end result. How many people did you speak to uh, to write the book, do you think? You have a roundabout number. Oh, that's, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I would say uh, uh, probably um, 60, 80 people, I would say, maybe, in, in total between, you know, between all the interviews that we did uh, outside of, uh, of the wrestlers here in Montreal who, who, who knew Andre. Uh, and you know all the ones that we did uh, that we did uh, here. Uh, yeah, I would say maybe 60, 80 people. Now, with um, with this book, a large a large portion of the the beginning of the book covers Andre's early childhood and upbringing. You know, probably a lot in depth compared to anywhere else has. How hard was it to trace back um, that far of his childhood? Uh, again, uh, my implication in the uh, HBO documentary helped a lot because uh, we, I was brought with the production in France uh, to interview the brothers for the documentary because none of, uh, none of the crew spoke French. So I was brought in uh, to do uh, the, uh, the interviews. Uh, so I had contact with them. Uh, so when we started working on the book, I flew back to uh, France and meet with the two brothers again because um, there's much more, you know, wanted to go into much more details in the book than, uh, than we did in the documentary, which is only normal, right? Because there's much more to talk about in a 400 pages book than uh, a 400-page book than, than in an 86-minute documentary. So, um, uh, so the two brothers plus uh, Andre had a nephew who lives here in Montreal. So we were able to, uh, to meet with him as well. He had researched a lot on his uh, family's origins in Bulgaria and in Serbia. So uh, we were able to get, you know, all the, uh, all the, those great information from, from his nephew as well. So uh, we were very blessed to uh, be able to talk with those people. Pat, the one thing that definitely came across from the HBO documentary is the fact that he was a, a much revered and much loved person back in his hometown by his family and also very much his friends. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was important for us to uh, 
to talk to everyone who, who who had a big part to play in his in his life in his career uh you know uh, uh the, the the family was one thing uh but the people here in montreal who knew him uh the most uh were still are still alive uh people like gino brito uh a longtime friend of Andre and, and the promoter for international wrestling. Uh, Paul Vachon was his first promoter here for Grand Prix Wrestling. Uh, Paul Leduc, who was a close friend of Andre during his time here in the 1970s. So, you know, we were, um, we were uh, lucky enough to be able to talk to those people. And, and for us, Montreal had to play a big part in the story we uh, we were telling in the book, because I mean, whether it was the HBO documentary, which I believe was you know the the, the most complete uh, piece of work ever done on Andre uh, up to that point, um, but whether it was the HBO doc or whether it was the Bucks Brown uh, graphic novel, or even worse, you know, the WWE book that they release. 10 years ago on Andre, um, Montreal was never covered as much as it should have been. Uh, I remember in the WWE book, uh, I believe there is like 30 pages between his birth to the time that he's getting uh, booked by Vince Sr. in New York. We have 120 pages before we come up to that point. So it was very important for us to go uh, as many as you know as much details as we could to be as thorough as possible as far as uh his childhood is is his time in england his time in in europe and and his time in montreal one thing that i um did read in the book was that um being a frenchman living overseas montreal and and french canadian wrestlers were very special to andre and gave him the opportunity to speak french um, and just how much Montreal did mean to him as a place. Oh, yeah. I mean, Montreal was his home away from home. Uh, I mean, if you, if you spoke French, automatically you were a friend of Andre. Uh, that, that was, there was no question asked. Um, so, so he made friends with, with many, many workers here, uh, but also anyone who could, who could actually speak French. Uh, he, he met uh, one guy from, uh, from the Martinique in, in Japan who spoke French, uh, and he became friends with him. You know, I, I think Andre never really mastered the English, the English language, and anytime he could speak his, his, uh, his native language, uh, he, would, he would jump on the occasion, and he would try to spend the most time uh, with that person. So uh, Montreal was, was uh, very important for him for those reasons, I believe. Uh, but also Montreal was very important uh, on his career. You know, a lot of firsts uh, happened uh, to Andre here in, in, in Montreal in the province of Quebec. How much of a, on a scale of, you know, other sports stars of that era, where, where did he compare um, name-wise, and how was he revered in Montreal? Oh, in Montreal at the time, I mean, it, it, it is still a name 
he, he had a different name here in Montreal. He, he was going under the name of uh, uh, Géant Ferré, uh, Giant Ferré. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, it's still a name that is known to this day in Montreal. And, and he wasn't here for a long time. He was here from 71 to 73. Uh, did some, uh, you know, a few more appearances during the rest of the 1970s, came back in the early 1980s, uh, and then with WWF, but he was always, he, he, he was kind of an adopted child here, you know? People really took him as if he was uh, someone from Montreal, from the province of Quebec, in the sense that, you know, as... as, as it's like with Edouard Carpentier, you know, as, as far as you know the language, you'll be good here. And, and you'll, you know, you'll come up, you'll come out as a, as a star. And, and he was really a star here. I mean, probably hockey players were bigger names than, than he was. Uh, a few baseball players. But uh, among the wrestlers locally, uh, he, he's one of the main uh, main uh, wrestlers that are still remembered to this day. In fact, did Andre struggle with identity? Uh, I mean, he had a, a, a family background that, of course, went back to the Balkans. Then, he, of course, his family grew up in France. He had that, he was, had that uh, affiliation with Montreal, very much lived in America, did a lot of world traveling, was down in Australia for a long time. Did he struggle with his identity and who he was? That's a very good question. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. He, he knew, he knew, he, he always remembered where he was coming from and, and you know, tried to uh, go back to France to see his family um, as often as he, as he could. Uh, he would go back and see his friends and play cards with them. Um, that's, that's what he was doing the, 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 the night before he... he he unfortunately passed away. Um, I mean, Montreal was, Montreal is always uh, seen as um, a very European kind of, uh, kind of city. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, it, in Montreal, it, it, for him, it was like if he was home. So, so it, it was really connected. Uh, when he moved to LRB, North Carolina, uh, he chose Ellerby because it reminded him of his uh, village of Molien, where he, he was born. So, so I think he always remembered who he was and, and where he was from, and always trying to find a place that reminded him of that, whether it was because of the language or whether it was because uh, the, 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 the village or the town uh, looked like the one he, 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 uh, he grew up in. So, you know, I think he always tried to, uh, to, 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 to find something that reminded him from, from home. And I think a beautiful finish to his life is the fact that his ashes are scattered on the farm with Frenchie in North Carolina. I think that was a, seemed to be a beautiful way for him to uh, spend the rest of his days. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that, that, was, that was such a, such a headache uh, for the family and for... Uh, uh, Jackie McCauley, ja Jackie and, and, uh, and her then husband, uh, Frenchie Bernard, uh, were, uh, you know, friends of Andre. They were living on the farm uh, with Andre, taking care of, uh, of everything when Andre was on the road. 
And um, when he passed away in, in Paris, he, he, he couldn't fit uh, in, uh, he, he couldn't be buried there. He, he wanted to be uh, uh, cremated and, and that wasn't possible there because they couldn't find uh, a crematorium large enough to actually contain his, uh, his, his corpse. So uh, he had to be brought back here and he wanted, he wanted his ashes to be spread on his farm, but he knew that, and we explained that in the book, we knew, he knew that he could have passed away in Japan, he could have passed away in Europe, you know, since he was traveling a lot uh, still then. So uh, there were other uh, possibilities for, 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 for his ashes to be, uh, uh, to be spread or something, but uh, at the end of the day, um, he, he was brought back here and, uh, and, and they did a big ceremony on the farm. Uh, uh, many, many people within the business, uh, like uh, Al Colgan and Randy Savage, uh, showed up uh, at, his, at his funeral. So it was, uh, uh, it, 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 I believe it was the right, uh, the right, the right, finish, the, the right ending for him. Yeah. For someone who passed away so young at 46, he left a huge mark on multiple generations of wrestling fans in basically every country on the planet. What, we, what are your personal memories of Andre the Wrestler? Um, I, knew, I, I knew him from um, what, what probably my earliest memory. Um, I, probably, I probably knew him from the early 1980s when he was still working for international wrestling here in Montreal. Uh, but my biggest, earliest memory, if I can say it that way, would be WrestleMania 3. Uh, I mean, to this day, it's my favorite WrestleMania because, you know, it's the one I grew up with. I must have rented that VHS tape at least 10 times when I was a kid because uh, there was a French version uh, with French commentators on it. So, so uh, you know, I, I, at one point I knew it almost by heart. Uh, so, so that main event with Andre and Ogan um, is, is, you know, a, a memory that will uh, always be uh, very special for me. Uh, and uh, it was a heel, Andre. So, so I, I don't have many memories of him as a baby face, uh, but, uh, but I have some. Uh, but uh, to me, that, that, that WrestleMania was something really special. I, I, I remember seeing him live here at the Montreal Forum, um, but I really wished I, you know, I, I would have had the chance to uh, meet with him or, or you know, to, to, uh, to take a picture with him, to see how tall he was, you know, because I only saw him in the ring, right? So I never had the chance to actually meet with him. Well, I'm glad you brought up WrestleMania 3 because that was one of the points we wanted to chat to you about. And I went back to it yesterday, actually, to watch that match again. And it's an amazing match. 93,000 people, indoor stadium. The atmosphere was electric. And as you said, Andre turning heel, for most of us who are, are old enough to remember Andre as a face, it was just such a different character for Andre to play, but he played the role so well. Did he, did he remember that match against Hogan fondly as probably one of his greatest wrestling matches? I think he, 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 uh, he knew the importance of the match. He, he, he knew that he was kind of passing the torch 
to Hogan, which, you know, which by 1987, Hogan was already the biggest star of, of the two. You know, he, he, was the, he was the main star uh, by, by that point in time. So it's not like um, he was really passing the torch, but, it, you know, in a sense he was. And, and I think he, he understood the importance of uh, putting Hogan over in, uh, in that kind of match. Um, and, uh, but I think it meant more for Hogan than it meant for Andre, uh, because Hogan really saw this as, um, Andre, who was the biggest star in pro wrestling in the 1970s and early 1980s, um, you know, passing really the torch to Hulk and saying, well, you know, this is this is you now you know you're the you, you're the guy now even though you, you already was it, it was kind of a of a, a validation for for Ogan and and maybe that's why also that Ogan was so um, <laughs> confused about about everything that went up that day because if you if you watch the HBO documentary Ogan will say that uh, he uh, he didn't know that. He wasn't sure if Andre would, you know, would put him over or not. And that Andre, you know, kind of decided uh, during the match that he was going to put Hogan over. I mean, it was never the case. Andre knew from the get-go that he was going to put Hulk over. He was just playing with him. He was just, you know, you know playing with his head, you know. And, and that, was, that was Andre. Andre was such a prankster. Uh, he, 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 I mean, he wants, and, and especially with his closest friends, I mean, he wants speed on Dusty Rhodes' head. And Dusty was a close <laughs> friend of his. I mean, once you do that, you, you can do pretty much everything, right? So, uh, so, 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 Ogan, and, and Dusty remembered that prank, and he's going to, you know, he was laughing about it, you know? So it's not like Dusty was pissed or anything. So, so, so I mean, he, he was just playing with Ogan, uh, just being, you know, Andre, and and and, but Ogan kind of uh, freaked out about it. Maybe rightfully so, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, he, he he knew he knew that he had to put Hulk over. He, he knew what it meant for the company. He knew what it meant for Ogan, and and he did the right thing. And just uh, going back to yourself personally, what's more enjoyable? Um... Working on the documentary or uh, working on the book? Oh, the documentary. I wasn't the one taking all the decisions and doing all the edits at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, and, you know, I got, I got to go to Paris uh, on, on, uh, on HBO's Dimes. But I'm just kidding. They were, they were they, they, you know, they, I, want, I want to thank them because probably this project would have not been possible without my implication uh, on the documentary and they, they treated me uh, very, very well. Um, that said, I mean, writing a book like this is, 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 is so much work. And someone asked me recently, how many hours did I, did I put on the book? And I, I, for my own, uh, for my own sanity, I don't, I don't want to, my, my own, you know, mental uh, health. I, I don't want, I don't want to start, calculating how many hours I work on the book, you know, because it's probably way too much for the money that it's going to give me. But at the <laughs> same time, I'm not doing it for the money. Me and Bertrand never did any of our books 
for the money. We do it to leave something, you know, a legacy to the next generations. And, and, and you know, just because we have a passion for professional wrestling. Um, doing the book was a lot of work. Um, and, and especially since we translated our book to French and we're going to get published in French as well uh, later on this year. It was supposed to come out, come out at the same time, but because of, uh, of the crisis, because of the uh, uh, COVID-19, uh, it's you know, getting postponed in French. But uh, I mean, it was, it was a, a lot of work, but it was fun. Uh, it, it, you know, I did a book on, uh, me and Bertrand did a book on the Montreal wrestling territory. And I did a book with Dan Murphy on the history of women's wrestling. And I, I ended up finding that it's much easier to work on one single subject, even, even though it's, it's as big of a, sub, a subject as Under the Giant is. Uh, it's, it's easier to work on only one subject than doing a hundred small biographies in, in a more uh, uh, enc encyclopedic uh, kind of book. Uh, so so uh, you can go into more details. You can uh, verify your information even, even better. And, um, and, and, you know, it was just a pleasure to, uh, to work on that book. But it's a lot of work. I, 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 won't, I won't lie. Writing about wrestling with the... Uh kayfabe and especially of the older guys and um stories getting told and retold how difficult and especially with a figure like andre are some of these stories to verify um actually easier than i thought um we, i don't know if it's because you know it wasn't it, it wasn't our first book we were used of you know we knew we knew where to look we knew you know how to find information we we had a lot of contacts so we were able to talk to a bunch of different people um but at the same time i, I you know the, the information was there I, i'm guessing that no one has no one has ever really asked before you know the, the, there, there's so many tales about andre um and and some of it were just right in, right in front of us i mean when we realized that on his birth certificate, it wasn't the right name that, that, that was put on. And on his death certificate, uh, I mean, if you look online, you're going to find that Andre has passed away on January 27th. That's what Wikipedia will tell you. That's what WWE will tell you. He passed away on January 28th. It's on the death certificate, which you can find online. So, so it boggles my mind that no one or, or barely no one, not enough that it became mainstream, not enough that Wikipedia changed the date that, you know, the date that is being reported every year, people are going to tweet or Facebook about Andre passing away that many years ago on January 27. That is false. So, 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 so when we realized that we knew we had to go deeper into every or almost every single fairy tale every single myth to make sure that we would tell the right story and uh, not to undermine the legend of Andre because all those legends, myths, and fairy tales made him who he was. Uh, but the, the real story sometimes is good enough for such a good story that you don't need to exaggerate the truth all the time. 
so so our goal was to make sure that we would explain why there was a there was this version or why there was this um this this, this tale uh, being told uh and then explain the truth and and uh and and like like for the uh, death certificate and the date well it was quite easy in the sense that i was lucky enough that when i was in france uh, with the documentary team uh, we interviewed the uh, doorman of the hotel uh, where andre passed away it was this it was the the guy was still working there 25 years later so so we spoke to him and he told us that andre came back he went he went out to play cards and he came back after midnight well he came he went to play cards on the 27th when he came back it was after midnight so it was the 28th so he could have not passed on the 27th so it was just a matter of of uh, of, of talking to the right people but it, it, at the end of the day uh, the right information came up pretty easily uh, i would say maybe the one that i had to that we had to dig a little more was the story about him and jerry lawler uh making the cover of a pro wrestling magazine uh it, it, it you know it was told as being the first time that jerry lawler made the cover of a of a magazine with the title being the night a midget uh, defeated a giant uh, it was the title was actually on the cover of the magazine, but Lawler was never on it. It wasn't even the right magazine. That is, you know, if you search about it, it wasn't the right magazine. They, I, I don't remember which one it was, but it wasn't the right one. So it was just a little tricky to to uh, uh, to to find which one we uh, which one um, they were talking about exactly. And and if you read Jerry Jarrett's book, if you read Jerry Lawler's book, if you read Dale Apter's book. The, 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 there's three different stories there. So, so, so. Uh, and, Memphis. And, yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Exactly. So. 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 And. And. So it was just a little trickier to uh, to to uh, to find the truth. Uh, but but we ended up doing it. So uh, uh, like like I said, the research we did on the book, and and that's why I don't want to count the hours I spent on that book because the research was very very important, especially for those reasons. Well, Pat, while we're on uh, clarification then, in the introduction of the book, it states that Andre wasn't seven foot four and he wasn't 520 pounds. Can you... What a shocker, right? What exactly was it? <laughs> um, we, we, we end up saying that at one point in his life, he was a real seven footer. Um, we, we, we did talk to uh, a guy from England a former wrestler named uh, Tony Sinclair, who was there when in 1969 they, uh, they, they, they measured Andre up. And he was a little bit taller than seven feet, but he had wrestling boots. But at the time, wrestling boots didn't have, um, it, 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 you know, it wasn't like big wrestling boots that it is today. So, um, so you had to, to uh, retract maybe a half an inch or something. So at the end of the day, it was he, he was he was about seven seven feet tall. Uh, he was measured in Montreal as well, and we spoke to Paul Leduc, who was there when the, when Andre uh, was was measured, and and he was seven he was barely seven feet, but he was seven feet. So so um, at the end of the day, we we do believe that he, he, he at one point in his life, 
he he was he was seven foot tall um but uh but but i mean they're so and 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 we we do explain all the tales about his his height you know we we do explain that in france he was uh, he was sold uh, at different heights than when he came to montreal i mean the seven foot four number came from montreal didn't come from new york didn't come from vince mcmahon it came from the very very first show he did here on june 1st 1971 and we do explain where it, where that number um, was was taken from, you know, because at the time the, the the tallest basketball player was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, just before he was actually Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was uh, still uh, Lou uh, Alcindor, uh, and uh, and he was, I believe, seven foot two, uh, seven foot three around that, and making him seven foot four just you know made him the, the the tallest athlete in the world at the time and and we have paul vachon from grand prix wrestling mad dog vachon's brother saying well you know seven foot four just sounded like a good number we couldn't have said that he was seven foot nine so seven foot four just sounded okay uh, so 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 you know that that's what we did we explained how and and explained all the the the, the, the tales about his his height and then we tell the, 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 the real story about it. But yeah, he, he, he was, I mean, about his weight, his weight was never much of, a, of, a, of an issue. He was probably never 520 pounds, but he was, he was, he was you know, I would say between four and, 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 and 500 at, at, you know, at, his, at his biggest. Um, but, uh, but his height was always something, uh, to this day, some people will still believe that he, you know, when, when he passed away, he was measured up, measured up, um, in, in his coffin and he was, he was six foot 10 and he had, um, he, because of his disease, because of uh, acromegaly, um, he, he, he lost a few inches earlier than someone would, you know, we all, uh, we, we all, you know, we all shrink, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with, with age, Andre, because of the disease was, you know, the, he, he lost a few inches, uh, before uh, anyone else would. Uh, so if he was six foot 10, uh, by the end of his life, he was definitely seven foot at one point in his life. So we, we, we are pretty sure that he was a seven, uh, seven footer. Yeah. So, um, Andre spent a large amount of time in Australia as well and was a big part of world championship wrestling in Australia. And I know that um, he's the guy that everyone spoke about and reveres, even in Melbourne. Uh, he didn't work the Jim Barnett version of, of, of world championship wrestling. He came about just after, um, after that uh, when it was uh, Tony... Uh, Tony Coloni, who was uh, who was the promoter back then, um, and he uh, he actually uh, he, he actually was uh, he actually was on the very last uh, TV show of World Championship Wrestling, uh, working uh, working. Um, he actually was the uh, WCW uh, Tag Team Champion um, before before the show uh, went off the air. Um, so, so, so he did work in Australia. He did work in New Zealand also before that, the, the, the first, the first country he did, 
uh, in um, you know uh, uh, you know near 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 Australia was actually uh, New Zealand a again. There is there is misinformation about that because you're gonna read that Andre was in New Zealand in 1969, which he wasn't. He, he was there in uh, 70, 71 or 72 after he came to Montreal uh, and worked for a Grand Prix Wrestling. Uh, but Australia came uh, a little after, I believe it was in 1974 that he did his first uh, presence there. Um, he did his first cage match in Australia. So, so that's something uh, there. He, he, he was working, uh, he, was he was teaming with, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Miller. Um, Ron Miller? Uh, Ron, Ron Miller, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was working in, in, uh, in tag team with Ron Miller uh, and, uh, and became friends with, uh, with Miller, with Larry Odie. Uh, who both, you know, work in North America as the Australians in the uh, 1970s, and he came back to uh, uh, to Australia, um, uh, uh, you know, at least uh, on a few occasions uh, when uh, when Miller and O.D. were uh, working, uh, running independent shows uh, at the end of the 1970s. Andre Andre was very loyal. Uh, Andre was loyal to uh, the people who helped him uh, early in, uh, you know, in his career. Uh, he, he had the same loyalty to Yoshiara, the promoter in Japan. Uh, even when he was working for New Japan full-time, not full-time, but exclusively in the 70s, uh, when Yoshiara with IWE was in need, um, he would do a few dates for them. It didn't change anything for Inoki. Um, and, and New Japan, but it meant the world to Andre and to Yoshiara. So he was always like loyal to uh, uh, to the people who got him started uh, in the business, and to you know the, the ones who helped him um, before he became that that you know worldwide uh, name, uh, mainstream name. So uh, so yeah, I mean Australia and New Zealand was uh, was part of uh, Andre's first. Uh, uh, first trip, you know, uh, in, in the early 70s. And a little bit about you, Pat. How did you first get into into wrestling and becoming a wrestling fan? Oh, my gosh. Um, I was six years old, so I'm 43 now, so that's a long time ago. Um, my dad brought me to my first wrestling show uh, in, uh, in the venue here in Montreal that... Uh, that held the weekly shows for international wrestling. Um, I started watching on TV after that, and you know, extensively, I, I, I became a fan. Uh, never stopped since. Uh, but in 2001, I started being involved on the independent scene here uh, in Montreal. Uh, Add you know different roles from from uh, uh, backstage roles to. Uh, uh, to to being a, a manager, to uh, being a ring announcer. Uh, I have a few matches under my belt, but, you know, I'm not at all a wrestler, believe me. Um, and, um, and yeah, so I uh, started doing uh, magazines here uh, in, in, you know, covering the independent scene, created the first uh, Quebec Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, and then one thing led to another, and, and you know, the, the, the first book, uh, I started working on, on the history of Montreal wrestling since it was never done before. 
uh, and um, and yeah, so so books was really my uh, the, the 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 first uh, project I did that opened the door for me uh, outside of uh, my own province, outside of my own town here. Um, and now you know, not only I'm doing books, but I'm also doing French uh, commentary for WWE here in Montreal. So uh, I have my own podcast as well. So I, I mean, you know, it, it's it's something I always that I was always passionate about. Uh, I'll, I also have, uh, also have my, uh, and me and, and my part, one of my partners have a, a women's wrestling company called Femme Fatale. Uh, so, you know, I'm involved a lot with women's wrestling. Uh, I know one of, uh, one of yours, Shaza McKenzie, who's a, who's a, who's a good friend of mine. Um, but you know, so, so, you know, I go to all the shimmer shows and all that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, anything wrestling related, uh, you know, I'm I'm there. I could talk about it for hours and hours, um, and and yeah, it's a it's a real passion for me. Now, is there anything that Andre regretted not having done in his wrestling career? I don't think so, because the only thing that I think he, he should have regretted is that he never got the operation, the surgery for Acromigali, like, like the big show did. Um, for, for reasons that, I mean, I do think that he, he, he got misinformed about those operations because he, he always said that he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to change the way God made him. And he was afraid that he would lose, he would lose the uh, the par particularities that made him such a, a, a well-known wrestler. You know, he, he, why Andre was so was so legendary is, is 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 not only his height, but his you know his his, his shape, and he was thick, and you know the, the his his big hands and all that, and and he was afraid that he would lose some of it. Uh, if he was getting a surgery, which was not going to be the case, or not to a degree where it would have meant anything. And, uh, you know, he knew about the disease since January 1970 on his first trip to Japan, uh, did nothing about it. Then he, he got uh, ankle uh, surgery in 1981. The doctor told him that, you know, he, he had acromegaly, and again, decided against doing the surgery. So, and he, and, he, and he never regretted it. So, so I mean, if you don't regret doing this, I don't think you have any other regrets in life because that, that could have gave Andre uh, a, a few good more years and, and especially a lot less uh, pain. So, so, yeah, I don't, think he, 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 I, I don't think he had any regrets. Um, then again... Um, I mean, Andre was, I was saying that Andre was very loyal, uh, but he was loyal on, you know, until, uh, until, uh, you betrayed his trust. And that's what happened with a few close friends of him. Uh, and he never had the chance to, uh, or, or maybe he just didn't want to, but he, he, he never had the chance to, uh, to talk to, uh, and I'm thinking here, Frank Valois. Who, who was a guy from from the province of Quebec? Who 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 who, uh, um, uh, who was on the road with Andre mainly, you know, 
1973 to uh, 1979. Um, and he was, you know, the main guy with Andre traveling with him all over the world. And something happened in the early 80s. Um, it was explained to us that, um, that Andre thought that Frank was, uh, that he was a better friend to Frank than Frank was a better friend to Andre. And, it, it, you know, he betrayed his trust and, and, and he, he, they never spoke again. Uh, Andre passed away in 93 and Frank passed away in 99 and they, 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 they never, uh, you know, uh, talk about it again. So, so maybe he, he, he regretted that. I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we didn't, never had the chance to, to speak with Andre uh, about, about those things. Uh, but, you know, my first instinct would be that Andre wasn't the guy to regret uh, something maybe 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 some of the remarks not on, I'm you know I'm thinking of you know on top of my head maybe some of the remarks he said you know and we talk about it in the book he, he had some you know at one point he had some uh, racist remarks uh, against uh, bad news brown ones um, he was never considered a racist he, 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 you know but he, he, he had a few racist uh, remarks uh, and you know I'm pretty sure that he, he, he regretted those but, but those were fixed with Bad News Brown, uh, you know, a few, uh, a few months, few years after. So, uh, so these one were, uh, you know, he had time to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to talk to the people and make sure that everything was okay. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the kind of guy who regretted a lot of, thing, a lot of things. Well, Pat, we thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate having a chat about this brand new book, The Eighth Wonder of the World, which comes into uh, Australia this week. Uh, everyone go out there and grab a copy. It's a fantastic read about the life and times and the true story of Andre the Giant. Thank you so much for your time today, Pat. And we look forward to talking again, maybe down the track sometime. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And if, uh, if anyone is interested in the book, you can find it on, uh, on uh, online, uh, like you said, you know, uh, Amazon uh, and, and uh, any, uh, any online um, uh, retailing store, uh, bookstores um, right now. And if you want to follow me on uh, social media, you can do it on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram at Pat Leprad. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Good on you, Pat. Pat Lepra joining us here on the Turnbuckle. Well, it's a big show. Oh, it's a big bad show tonight. Oh, baby, come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a big show. Oh, and welcome back. Second segment of the program, the music of the big show bringing us in. We'll talk about him shortly and probably one of the worst TV shows ever made for television. First of all, though, uh, great interview there, boys, with Pat. What an interesting subject Andre the Giant would be uh, to write a book about. Yeah, it sounds like it was an extensive process, but a labour of love for Pat and... Um... Gee, I could have listened to him talk all day. Yeah, definitely. I'll echo the same. Um, yeah, pretty exciting for me. Um, I'm a wrestling book collector, so speaking to a wrestling book author was, uh, yeah, really good. 
really, should, really fun. We should have asked him to do some commentary for us because I've never heard WWE commentated in French. Could just change it on the network. Well, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you can change it. Yeah, you could also Google it. <laughs> Probably on YouTube, Tony. It's yeah, all right, I'll find somewhere. it. I'll find it. Now you've read the Andre book uh, from top to bottom, Lyle, on the PDF that we got sent. Uh, a good read. It came out this week. Oh uh, yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, for a biography with the um, the uh, subject being deceased, it's right up there with Liam O'Rourke's book. Crazy Like a Fox, the Brian Pillman biography. Um, but this is this uh, goes way deeper. This is probably the most. Then Pat touched on it. It's uh, his early childhood getting into wrestling. Yeah, There's 120 pages just on that kind of stuff alone, and yeah, and it it really separates the the facts and the myths of Andre the Giant. It's all right to have the the myths of uh, the giant in wrestling, but in a biography, you want the, the facts. And yeah, he's, uh, he's covered it extensively. So really good read. I'll be getting the, the hardcover copy uh, later this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've well, read um, a part, uh, I'm probably a quarter of the way through and um, I am enjoying it and I'm not a big reader. So <laughs> that's saying a lot. Yeah. That's same here. I'm about the same. Uh, I wanted to get a book on tape. Yeah, exactly. Who, I wonder if uh, Pat actually voices the book on the audio book. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, Maybe the French version for sure. Exactly. Um, um, we, of should, course, we should um, thank Shazza too, boys. Yeah, Shazza McKenzie uh, is the reason that we had Pat on the on the show. So, um, yeah, huge thanks to her because um, she obviously put us over and she didn't have to. No, she didn't. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Correct. Really appreciate him. We certainly do. And was Shazza on uh, Jericho's podcast? Yeah, she was. So, um, and I see that he's also interviewed Pat. So I feel like Jericho's uh, stealing his ideas from us at the moment. Well, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, no, we're, she, we're, no, you're up. Go I was on. just gonna say we're used to being undercut by a lesser-known podcast, so it's all fine. Um, moving along, uh, I've had a listen to Shazza on the Jericho podcast, and I think it was recorded the same day we spoke to her. Um, and it's, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting listen. Uh, good companion piece to our episode. <laughs> all right, good. We'll catch up on that. Uh, hey boys, I want to talk about something that's trending at the moment. And I don't know whether I should be excited about it or not. Oh, I wonder what this is. I'm, I'm, sure you guys, I'm sure you guys have seen the hashtag wrestling Twitter after dark. Yes, we have. Uh, yeah, we're be, aware it of needs, it. It needs to be followed by the hashtag WTF. What is what? happening there? That is just... What has what like Half Naked people... Women got to do with wrestling? I feel... Well, you didn't watch WWE in the 90s, Tony. No, well, I didn't. I've, got, did. I've got some of those videos, but... Oh. <laughs> I, um, I've seen your search history as well, Tony. Yeah. Uh, oh, I feel like um, it was more of a body positivity sort of thing. Okay. Where, um, yeah, people were just sort of posting pictures of themselves. I don't think it was meant by everyone as a thirst trap, but um, I think it did come across as one to a lot of people. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a one-day thing. I think it'll be done, but uh, anything that promotes a bit of potty, body positivity can't be a bad thing. 
No, that's Were you true. close to close to sharing some of your photos from back in your promoter days, Tony? I was very close. Tony sent one to our group chat that's uh, better left alone. I uh, I definitely look I definitely looked a lot better in those days than <laughs> I do now. Didn't I know you in those days? Oh, that's when I was a uh, a best and fairest winner at the footy club and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you were the president. Loves talking himself. I was the president. president at that time. Captain. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, now keep up the uh, hashtag wrestled Twitter after dark going, folks. We're uh, enjoying seeing those photos. <laughs> oh, we? He started. He started it with uh, WTF, and he's finished it with the uh, keep it going. I like that. Yeah, I'm talking, about body, I'm talking about body positivity and totally No, that's what I'm talking about. about I'm not talking about anything else uh, Apparently WWE gentlemen, we'll Take your word for it Alright, yeah, believe me, trust, it's all about trust Now apparently WWE is an essential service in Florida, gentlemen What's happening there? Yeah, so I've, so I've heard um, That's a bit, I think it's uh, a bit strange Maybe Vince walked in with the briefcase full of cash again uh, That's a dark side of the ring Episode there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, could be, that could be Dark Side of the Ring season three, Vince versus the coronavirus. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, it's not not just WWE, I think UFC have got the exemption, the NHL, the NFL, if they all want to run in Florida. Uh, be interesting having an ice hockey rink in the performance center. Not sure where you put the rinks, but are baseball running in Florida? Uh, yeah, I think they're gonna because they have their spring training camps down that way anyway. So I think they're gonna try and get some going. So yeah, I've heard they're running in. They're only running in two states, Florida and you should know this, Tony. Uh, Florida and um, Arizona. There you go. Oh, with baseball. Yeah. Yeah, Is that right. Uh, that sounds right. That's normally where they have their spring training camps. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I'm not big on this. I don't think that any form of entertainment is an essential service, and the proof of that is in the fact that ratings for everything are way down. Now, if it was essential service and we needed it, wouldn't ratings be well up at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. I. I don't know. I just. I. <laughs> Calling wrestling an essential service is, is a stretch for mine. Um, it's tough enough to watch along with the no crowd and the lack of atmosphere. And, you know, you're putting performers at a higher risk than, you know, the rest of us by having them get on a plane every week, find out that they're going to go live. Um, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if it was just the people that lived in Florida or, you know, you just, maybe you put everyone up in hotels for a few weeks and but yeah they're live what do you live think aspect. about Tony what do you think about that the no, it's WWE just, going live again it's indicative of what's happening over in America at the moment no one absolutely knows what the hell is happening you've got governors and presidents fighting over what states are going to be open and closed uh, it's just it's an absolute shambles over there you've got aeroplanes still flying domestic market 85% of planes are still flying domestically in America it's just shut the joint down. You got so many people dying every freaking day over there, over a thousand people alone just in New York. Shut the place down for four or five weeks, get over it, and then move on. It's just, it's indicative of what is happening, and it's just an absolute shambles. Who would have thought electing a buffoon to be president 
would um, cause the end of all days in that country. Like, yeah, who could have seen this coming? Not even yeah. Notre Dame. No. Everyone. Anyway, let's move on from that. It's a, a weird one that uh, that they're dealing with on that one. Hey, guys, uh, the big show show. What have we thought about the first week off? I've seen the whole series, Tony. I've seen oh, have the you? first half. Half, first half of season one I've watched, uh, it was tough to put down. It was that good. I've watched the first four episodes and I'm struggling to go back for episode five. <laughs> nah, I, I've seen uh, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. So I, I enjoyed it pretty what slowly. it was. Oh, it gets better. Um, there's only one character that's got any good lines. That's a little chick. That's the, yeah, the youngest, yeah, the youngest girl, yeah. Um, and the, probably by the last two episodes, I don't know if I had um, Stockholm Syndrome or I'd started to enjoy the show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't watch them back to back. Is that, is that your review? Don't watch them back to back. No, watch them back to back because it's the only way that you'll get tricked into not knowing if you like it or not. Yeah. My but it's doing well. It. It is doing well. It's, it's, it's easy to watch. It is. Just easy. See, put it on. You can have it on in the background. You're not going to miss anything if you do take your eyes off it to check your phone for a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. The, the well, big I mean, show I was is quirky. Lucky to take, I was lucky to take my eyes off the phone to check the screen for a couple of minutes. But um, interesting to see Steve Urkel back on screen. That's been a while. Steve Urkel, how good was that? Yeah, and playing is what he normally gets uh, cast in as a gym owner. Real buff at the minute. He's looking good. So, I, didn't know, I didn't know he usually got cast in anything. I haven't seen him for years. <laughs> well, that's a one positive. He got a job out of it. That's a positive. Yes. Okay, so, uh, it is on Netflix, gentlemen. Any other good things on Netflix, wrestling-wise, that we should be watching? The WWE have got a um, movie that they made um, in conjunction with Netflix that's on at the moment called The Main Event. Ah. But, um, it's basically a Disney sports movie. It's um, not terrible. It's not great. It's an easy watch. Um, lots of cameos. Keith Lee's the true hero of the movie for me. There you go, Lyle. I'm going to have to watch this. I'm going to have to watch this on my own. I tried to convince my kids to watch it for movie night, but as I tried to slip it in under there as a superhero movie, but, geez, the trailer let me down by just selling the wrestling, 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 and it was... Oh, you uh, showed them the trailer. There was your mistake. Yeah, so I couldn't get that across the line for family movie night, so... Uh, so what did you have to watch? I'll have to watch it. Uh, probably Die Hard 1 or something like that. Family nice movie night? How old are you... Kids, uh, they're, yeah, they're a they're an old eight and ten. They're an old eight and ten. They've That's had a to Christmas be. Movie They've had to grow up, up early, isn't it? Well, they have to yeah. basically take care of Lyle. Yeah. Correct. They're, they're living through a pandemic. It's uh, age is not a factor <laughs> in any case anymore. So, favorite favorite wrestling movie, boys, off the top of your head. So, um, I don't know. There's not a lot of good ones. I um, thought the wrestler's good. Yeah. yeah, the wrestler is good. Beyond the mat, good. That's a documentary. That doesn't count. All right, Fight, fighting with my 
family was good. Yes, my favourite. Yes, uh, my favourite. Uh, what, Tony? Fighting with my family was my favourite. Ah, uh, you, you gotta you gotta finish your sentences, big boy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there was a there was a movie I watched as a child many times called uh, Grunt, the wrestling movie. It's shit, but you should watch it. Uh, it's, um, it's got um, Adrian Street in it. Yeah, I think you mentioned that earlier in the week for me. That's on that's on my list. But you got No Holds Barred. That was a great. Oh, that movie. was fucking that, terrible. That, that was right up there. Beyond the Mass. Nacho Libre. Beyond the Mass. Beyond the Mat. That's a doc- didn't we already mention that? Did we? Yeah, I don't know. It's a doco. Uh, what Nacho about Libre? That what about funny. the Flintstones? Stone Age Smackdown. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. I haven't watched that one yet, Tony. But the Scooby Doo WrestleMania mystery. There you go. You have to watch that one. Oh, that the one. the Flintstone ones is really bad. Is it? Is yeah. it? But the Scooby Doo one, the Scooby Doo one got a tick from me and my family. Yeah, one of the Scooby Doo ones is like really good. I think it's the car one. Now, did uh, did did Sylvester Stallone make one called Paradise Alley? I don't know. Was that a wrestling film? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Paradise Alley. Really, Terry Funk might have been in that. Maybe it's not a wrestling movie. Maybe Paradise Alley, that rings a bell. Uh, I think Terry Funk could have been in that just off the top not of a wrestling head, movie, Not a wrestling movie, but a movie with a wrestler in it. Yeah. Santa with Muscles is always a good one, Lyle. That's a, that's a just behind Die Hard 1 for uh, Christmas movies in this household. So. With like an eight-year-old Mila Kunas in it. Who? Okay. Mila Ooh. Kunas. Mm-hmm. I believe you. <laughs> is, she related, her, is she related to Stevie Kuvas? No, she's not related to Stephen Kuvas. She both uh, pronounces and spells her name differently. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's got a famous uh, husband. Yeah, Tony. Ashton Kutcher. Have, yeah, have you heard of him? Oh, I've heard of him. Well, that's his wife. So why is she got a different name? Because she was already famous. Oh, yeah, then he, that's his stage name. And he groomed her on the set of a TV show. When she he was groomed, underage. He groomed her, did he? <laughs> <laughs> hey, boys. Uh, uh, allegedly. 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 <laughs> Jeez, that was a long allegedly. Now we. Uh, I didn't say it. I was waiting for you to do the allegedly. We've got a uh, we've got a topic that we were looking at for this week. Is my microphone breaking up or is it just me? It's probably just oh, I can hear. probably a lot of relationships during this lockdown, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we wanted to talk about being in quarantine and if we could be in quarantine with four wrestlers, who would they be? We actually decided instead of picking our own wrestlers that we would pick wrestlers for each other. Is that correct? Uh, yep, yep. Uh, why? Who are you doing, Tony? Well, I'm doing Lyle. Wouldn't be the first. Okay. <laughs> Lord. All right. Here's my so who four. Do you got for Lyle? Well, here's my four wrestlers for you, Lyle. And uh, oh, please, please don't take any offence. First uh, you wrestler, know me, Tony. First wrestler this is, is this, yeah, Paul Roma. <laughs> now, I've gone along the line of wrestlers. Hey, hey, hang, on hang on a minute. Hang on, hang on, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to talk. Let me finish. I've gone along the line of wrestlers who are fairly boring. Paul Rovers, the consensual, <laughs> boring wrestler with little talent and absolutely no gimmick. How he was added to the four horsemen is absolutely beyond me. 
And why, Paul, he was that bad that they actually only had three horsemen because they couldn't find anyone who wanted to be the fourth. That's how bad Paul Romer was. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and Paul Romer, the three horsemen. And Arn Anderson was that pissed off with Romer. He took out his frustrations on Sid Vicious and stabbed him with a pair of scissors. <laughs> that was after Sid laughed in his face about Paul Romer being a horseman while they're at a bar. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. What? And if you're asking me why I put a, Stone, a Steve Austin reference into there, firstly, why not? And secondly, because Roman replaced Steve Austin as Paul Orndorff's tag team partner after the tag <laughs> team out in Battle Brawl, in Battle Bowl. So there you go. Yeah, yeah I guess um, I agree with you because like, just like Paul Roma, uh, Lyle's the worst member of his group as well. So, so basically, yeah, I've seen the, the four horses. Hang on, he's not, no, no, Lyle, Tony's not I finished. Th- he's got three I more. thought I had a, a what? That, that was... Go, Tony. I thought you were putting all the four horsemen in there with me. No, 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 no not at all. Just Roma. Oh, I thought it was the Roma four horsemen with me. I'm like, that's not too bad. No, not at Who all. Who else, Tony? Uh, also, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, basically due to those bad hairstyles of yours, including that mullet. Brutus <laughs> is someone that could definitely you could use in lockdown, no doubt about it. He didn't even have scissors, Tony. He used garden shears. That, uh, perfect for the mullet. Absolutely perfect. For the thickness. And he, number, you both had terrible mullets and terrible clothes. So number three for one. me, number three for me was the great Kahali, a wrestler with very little charisma, spoke really <laughs> bad English, and had poor mic skills. Pretty Hang much loyal to a T. It's a bit racist, Tony. What? He did speak very bad English. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, the great Kahali did. Um, no, I said .com in that advertisement that we released. You edited that for sure. Is it advertisement or advertisement? It's advertisement. Yeah, there but you that... go. All right, so we've got Brutus, Paul Roma, Great Carly. Can I, also, can I also say too, I forgot to mention with Paul Roma, and this has just come into my head, that you're both the worst members of your respective stables. Yeah, 100%. Ric Flair is number four for me. <laughs> Because he's a womanizer from way back. Went out on many dates while married. And to quote the nature boy, to finish off, my flings were always one-time only affairs in my eyes. But my partners didn't always think so. I was trying to break their hearts so. I wanted to make an impression to give those girls a great memory for life and to make sure I was a hard act to follow for the next guys in their beds. Once a lady lived through the legend, there is no going back. Woo! <laughs> Have a look at him, Lyle. Look how happy he is with himself. I can, he's sweating. He's that excited. He's sweating. He's pumping Tony, his fists. He, well, yeah, he's pumping his fists. That's, um, well, the only difference between myself and Ric Flair in this instance is, you know, I will go on a second date. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say, Tony? You've, you've, yeah, you've called me the rubbish four horsemen. No, you, three. It was only three. Well, he called you. He called you the rubbish member of our group too. Just yeah, quietly. yeah, yeah. You, so my verbal skills are up there with the great Carly. Is it up there with the great Carly or below? Yeah, no, uh, up there with him. Okay, I'll try. At least you gave him that, I guess. All <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, what well, I've done, Tony? Oh, hang on. All right. Oh, I, so, I didn't think. No, I didn't think this was going to be a shit on each other. I've given. Well, she four ones that I think you'd have fun with. No, that's yeah, you, got, you guys have set me up here. Well, I've got Tony. Go ahead. 
the first one I've given you, Tony, is Ray Mysterio Jr. Oh, beautiful. Happy with that. Yeah, I thought you would be. Um, I'm trying to be nice. He's, and also because he's got the mask, so you can send him on all the runs to the shop. Yep. It'll work well. Beautiful. Love that. I've also given you Loverboy Lockie Hendricks. Not sure I'm happy with that. But just imagine like how much he can keep you grounded. Because I know you get upset. You yell at me all the time. The meditation. You yell at Lyle all the time. The meditation sessions could like, be good. Yeah, I feel like uh, you and Loverboy could find some sort of, you know, a new plane of existence. Yeah, possible. You never know. The third one I've given you yeah. is Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, there you go. Speaking of uh, womanizers. Well, he's also a racist. So oh. I figured that, <laughs> that you two will be making your inappropriate jokes, probably at Ray's expense. Oh, Lord. Which brings yes. me to the fourth member of the group, someone sure. who can keep you and Jerry in line. Who's that? Dowie James. Dowie James. I uh, just that way if you and when you and Jerry are making your Mexican jokes and your sexist jokes, Dowie will be the one to yell at you and bring you in a line. What do you would you enjoy that house, Tony? That that house sounds like it could be a lot of fun. I actually think that could be a lot of fun. <laughs> There'd be a lot of drama, I reckon. A lot oh, of drama in that house. That's a big brother house. That's a big brother house for sure. No doubt about it. Yeah, it'd, it'd definitely, it'd definitely be the, like the odd couple with you and Loverboy and you and Dowie. So it's definitely uh, you and Jerry Laura. I think you would be two peas in a pot, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> don't be on, don't be honest then. <laughs> <laughs> well, he got in trouble this week for making a racist joke on WWE TV, Tony. Oh, did he? What did he say? Um. He called a move by Azir, uh, by it was Takawa, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He said the the ramen noodle, uh, dolo moon or moonsault. Moonsault. Yeah, and uh, not only was it racist, it also wasn't a moonsault. It was clearly a senton. Yeah. What so, about the yeah. What about the NASCAR driver who, in the E Series race on the weekend, was driven off the track by another driver, to which he turned around and called him the N word with his microphone and everything was live. So the whole of America, everyone was watching it. Heard him call wow. Another driver, a N word. Yeah. Oh um, Lord. I'm glad you didn't lean into that one. Um, that's yeah. Obviously he hasn't got a job Just, anymore. No, no, he hasn't. He's been sacked by his uh, team. He's been put on indefinite suspension by NASCAR has to go to uh, racial vilification, uh, Events, yeah, awareness, yeah, awareness classes, exactly. So, just I just don't know why you would even do that in a live situation. Just well, I, the kind I, of I person who does that, that's they don't think the same way. Like for that to for that word to go through your head, like you obviously use that word. It's not yeah. something you use one off. No, no, true, exactly. Yeah, so I yeah. I don't I don't watch NASCAR, but I'm assuming a lot of their audience probably use that word at the same oh, time. Very so, redneck. Very redneck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he's probably got, he a, lot of, he's probably got a lot of supporters out there. Uh, oh, no doubt. Along with it as well. All right, who you got for uh, Welshy Lyle? Well, I'm looking forward to this. Well, I was 
Jeez, I've been blindsided by being thrown under the bus. Um, yeah, you got first, hit right between the eyes, I must say. Yeah, you, you sent it to me. Who do you think they would like to be with? And I think you just lowered my sense of security. Well, wouldn't you like to be with Ric Flair? Well, yeah, we've got some stories, don't we? we got and some Paul stories. Romer. Paul Romer? I, um, I don't mind being in the room with Paul Romer. I just didn't <laughs> enjoy the fact you Too labelling me the, the worst <laughs> member of our... Horseman. Two time, someone, someone's got to be worse. Two-time yeah, world all, tag champion. World tag team picture, champion. All I can picture in my head is the Four Horsemen DVD and Triple H's reaction when he was in the WWF, hearing that Paul Roma was in there. He's like, the job guy from WWF? <laughs> That's Are you it. in there? That's, That's it. Yeah. Stuff you, Tony. He's in the Young um, Stallions. Yeah. So, obviously... Uh, yeah, well, she's going to need some positivity yeah. while being uh, in isolation. So that sounds better. good. Yeah, none better. Yeah, I've got to go straight to the top of the tree of positivity. Is Diamond Dallas Page? He'll oh. kill you. He'll yeah. kill well, you with positivity. Yeah, but um, I'd like that'll be good. I, that'll help my fitness and my eating. I'm happy yeah. with that. Yeah, he'll get you. I was never a DDP fan though. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. Him, him walking into every room yelling "bang," and um, yeah. Yeah, but he can I tell think- me some Macho Man stories. Oh, that'd be all right, actually. Maybe he could show you some of the tapes that they filmed um, of each other's matches and stuff. They like to... And the script they had to write out for each match. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I just feel... And him, he's just a walking advertisement. I don't think you'd get annoyed with him advertising DDP yoga every time he's walked in the same room. Well, I'll be able to hit him up to see if he can advertise it on our podcast. Oh, good point. Bang. That's very good. Um... And obviously, I'm I'm thinking of Steph at the same time. So, hang on, um, this is my my quarantine house. Yeah, she's not yeah. going to be there. No, obviously, she lives with you. So, yeah, but this no. will be a different quarantine. There's not enough bedrooms for all these people. Obviously, you and your partner share a bedroom. It's you know, it's two. I might want to share a bedroom. I might want to share the bedroom with Diamond Dallas Page. I think you're being very assum- uh, very assumptuous here. Well, that's, a, that's got a bang to it. No, I was just going to... So your second uh, roommate would be you know, Steph's friend's husband, Robbie Eagles. Oh, yeah, that'll, uh, I'll, that'll I'll, be I good. Think, yeah, yeah, I think you, you probably... You could, you could get on because you do have... Uh, both your partners are friends. So, you know, being tagging along and being the third wheel. Oh, I'm, I'm used to being Robbie. the third wheel, so that, yeah, that'll so work. Yeah, I think that would work out. And, and Robbie is nice enough to just play along. And let you tag along with him. He's a nice person. Yep. Um, uh, your third one is uh, Joey Ryan. In oh, full fuck dick off. Gimmick. Full nah. dick gimmick the whole time. He is wearing the banana hammock the whole time. Nah, he's Boy, not allowed he in the house. No, no, no. This is the house I'm giving you. Joey Ryan got the baby oil all the time. And if you're going to fight over dishes, you've got to grab his dick. And whoever wins doesn't have to do the dishes. So, obviously, have you got your own? Oh, I'm not spending two Joe months Ryan? with Joey Ryan in gimmick. Joe Ryan and his dick for two months. Yeah, Lyle has to spend two months with Paul Roma. I'll, I'll, can we do trades? Can I trade you Paul Roma for Joey Ryan? I, no, I like Paul Roma. I just don't like being called Paul Roma. <laughs> Paul Roma. Paul Roma would be a great fourth wheel he'd be good in a house no worries about that just you don't have to call me the worst horseman in history 
But uh, you have to feed the great Carly as well. That's going to take some That'd doing. be big, yeah. Seven foot of him. All right. Well, where's your punchline, Lyle? Paul, Paul Roman's the fourth shoulders. Uh, it'd be the unit. Nick Berry. No, no, no. Just the unit. Nick Berry Nick- won't be there. It would be the unit 24-7 for two months. You'd have to be do spotted. Have to dur- do I have to work during this period? Uh, no, your work's been shut down for unexplained reasons uh, for my story. Um, you'd have to be spotter in his backyard gym. You'd have to apply his fake tan because oh, we know he we, well, he can't have the supplement because no, uh, Brooksy set him up that time when he, he nearly exploded. Uh, you know. What The unit and, and Joey Ryan in the same house. Uh, with you. Oh, testosterone. With, with you. Plus. Yep, that'd be... Yeah, there'd be a lot of sweaty squats going on. There'd be a lot of tequila getting drunk too. Yeah. I've got a feeling I might have gone a bit hard. No, no, <laughs> yours was the best. No, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, well, you hit me in between the eyes, Tony. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's well, he rounded awesome. back from what he told me, Lyle. He was going to go even harder at you. Oh, well, was he going to call me the worst member of the spirit squad or something? Just no. the worst. Just, Just the, the worst. worst member. Yeah. No, nah, Joey Ryan's got the worst member. <laughs> Ric Flair's member's nearly fallen off. So, <laughs> uh, Well done, boys. Looking forward to uh, spending some time with those people in the near future. Welshie, what are you cancelling? Uh, hot takes on Twitter. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Very topical. I'm just sick of subtweeting and, you know, we're all bored at home. It's easy to tweet positive stuff, like, because we're all feeling like shit. Like, hot takes, they're, they're never good. They're always just fucking shit takes. And it's not, this is not aimed at anyone. This is just my whole feed is hot takes, and they fucking suck. What's a like, hot take? I don't understand what a hot take is. Uh, just uh, people posting unpopular opinions, or. No, oh, okay. That's what it basically is. Um, yeah. Like, can we just put them in the back pocket until we get out of the, out of the house? Might have to. Yeah, maybe maybe you could have taken that advice before you brought up Paul Romer and myself, Tony. <laughs> was that a hot take? Was it? Yeah, that's a hot take. No, sorry. that was a good one though. No, that was a good one. Uh, and Lyle... you didn't subtweet him. You didn't subtweet him. You hit him. You nailed him between the eyes. Yeah, yeah, you meant to vaguely so everyone knows, but you got plausible deniability, Tony. You're not meant to just hit me between the eyes while you're looking at me. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, it's all right. Can I, get, can, I get, can I get Jason back on the podcast? No, no. no. Uh, the AEW review. Lyle, what happened on AEW today? A, a new tag team um, debuted. Paul Roma? In the... You're not going to let me forget this, are you, Tony? Uh, it's all no, right, they've, uh, they've uh, debuted. They, they're called the non-essentials. No. Um, the non-essentials, so they wouldn't be yeah. allowed to work. Oh, that's just a nickname. Well, you know, they work a different style. No flips, just fists. Uh, they're the, the old revival team. Um, you know, they've got new names now. What's it? Cash Wheeler and Dax... Harwood? Is that a year? Dax, Dax Harwood. Is this the punchline? 
that is a joke of a name, isn't it? He could have picked uh, anything. He He literally uh, could have picked any name. I mean, he couldn't have picked Hulk Hogan. That's taken. But he could have picked any name he wanted, and he's picked Dax Harwood. Is it Harwood or Harwood? Harwood. No D. No D. No. Dax Hardwood. That'd almost be comically funny. Yeah. Cash Wheeler sounds like a bad '80s action movie. Yeah. Starring Cash Wheeler. Yeah. They sound like like, porn star names. Tony, is that correct? Uh, Yes. Okay. (laughs) Said a few of those names. (laughs) What 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 was that little thing we used to do years ago where you you got the first. Um, Tony, I'm always worried when you say things that we used to do (laughs) because they're very often things that I've never done. No, you were told told to take the first name, the, the first street that you lived in. And the first and the name of your first animal, and that was your porn. Oh, first, like your first mine pet. Was, yeah, mine was Gilbert. Mine was Gilbert Brandon. Gilbert Brandon. I lived in Gilbert Two Street. My, I lived in Gilbert Street, and my dog was Brandon. Oh, so you were Brandon Gilbert? Oh, Brandon Gilbert is a dog and street. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, Claude Belan. Oh, very nice. I think it works. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Did Hang you live on, on Belan Road? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, interesting. I lived on. Uh, Didn't you have a bird called Tiny? Who? No, no. My uh, I, I lived on Paul Street, and I'm not mentioning the name of my dog now. No, Tiny oh. was all right. Tiny Paul. Ro- I lived on Roma Street. <laughs> Stop pumping your fist, Tony. You already get yourself a towel. You're sweating that much. You're so happy with yourself. This is reminiscent of uh, the Lockie Hendricks fist pump from the balcony. <laughs> this is this is the worst. This is the worst podcast in history. <laughs> Which, in now in this day and age, makes it good. It does it? make it good. Friday, March the twenty seventh in Australia. Yeah, I don't think there's anything going on, is there? Nothing. On Friday, well, not- nothing on Saturday, and nothing on Sunday. So no essential, nothing essential in Australia. Nothing. No. No. I'm sure that you can uh, go online to the streaming services and watch something. Though. There's some good stuff out there that companies have put up. I know that uh, EPW stuff's up for free. I know that Wrestle Rampage are putting a lot of new stuff up. PWA are doing their watch-alongs. Uh, MCW have got all of the old PWA Melbourne shows going up. So there's a lot of stuff. Or if you uh, live in Brunswick or Fitzroy or those alternative suburbs, maybe you could grab your neighbours and have a tag team wrestle after dark event. What? What? Well, you and your partner, and you could grab your neighbours and you could have a social wrestling distancing. After... Oh yeah, that's true. Not encouraging that one bit. <laughs> if you've got if you've got an idea for a podcast, as this one may not last after this week, uh, contact my podcast house or on the turnbuckle through our Facebook pages and we can help you get on air. Tune in next week. We should have something. We're cancelled, I think. Oh, okay. We'll see how we go. Can we, <laughs> can, can we, uh, can we do like a profile of, uh, of a wrestler or something next week? Like, can we just... Uh, like Paul Roma's matches? And stuff no, actually, like you know what I'd like to do next week? Let's talk. Yeah. What, let's talk about. This should happen in the meetings. In the oh, meetings that oh, we have. Yeah, good point. Good point. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's hard for me to veto you on air. Do you want me to start recording again? Can we do this from the top, or are we? 
<laughs> no, no, let's just go. All it right. hasn't stopped you vetoing Lyle's him on here before. Lyle's got 80 second dinner. That's true. Uh, catch you soon, folks. We'll catch you hopefully next week. See you then. If we can think of an idea. <laughs> <laughs>